Welcome to the Evolve Workplace Wellbeing Podcast. This podcast is part of a toolkit of free, evidence-informed workplace wellbeing resources provided by the Workplace Wellbeing Research Team at the University of East Anglia in the UK. You can find the resources on www.evolveworkplacewellbeing.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Helen Fitzhugh from the Evolve Workplace Wellbeing Research Team. Usually on our podcast, we catch up retrospectively with ways research has been used to influence workplace wellbeing. However, today we're going to do things a little differently. We're going to look to the future and do some horizon scanning. In this podcast, we will look at an issue which could influence workplaces and workplace wellbeing in the future, universal basic income. Dr. Mark Bryan from the University of Sheffield joins us to explain what UBI is, who is thinking about it, and what might happen if it's ever introduced. So, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Helen. It's a pleasure to be here. So, would you mind introducing yourself, your kind of usual research, and how you started thinking about UBI? Yeah, sure. Um, So I'm a reader in economics at the University of Sheffield, and my main research interests are sort of at the intersection of labour economics and health and well-being economics. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was involved in the What Works Centre for Wellbeing. My particular area in that was looking at um, transitions in, in work and how that affected people's well-being. Mm-hmm. and vice versa. I'm currently leading a project about to do with the disability employment gap, which is the gap in employment rates between disabled and non-disabled people in the UK. Mm-hmm. So that's my that's sort of my day job, which doesn't really have anything to do with uh, UBI. Um, however, I've also done research um, and I teach policy evaluation methods, so methods to statistically evaluate the effects of different policies. So in the past, I've done research about the effects of the minimum wage on employment, for example. Mm -hmm. And I first got involved in um, UBI because there was a group in Sheffield being set up called UBI Lab Sheffield. And now that's expanded into the UBI Lab network. Um, So there's lots of UBI labs now. Um, and the mission statement or the, the goal of the, of the network is to explore the possibilities of UBI. Mm. Um, and one way we're trying to do that is to promote uh, the running of pilots, uh, UBI pilots, where and a pilot is basically an experiment where you pay um, a group of people a universal basic income and you see what happens. And because of my policy evaluation expertise, I originally came in as co-author of a proposal to do a UBI pilot in Sheffield. Um, so that's how I got interested in it. Um, mm-hmm. Now that, that pilot has, hasn't actually been run for reasons that we might discuss to do with cost and um, sort of political political cooperation that's required. Um, but that's that, that pilot still exists. And since then there has actually been a pilot launched in the, in the UK, uh, in Wales, um, yeah. a, a pilot that is testing uh, the impact of a UBI amongst a group of care leavers. Um, okay. So young people who've just left the care system in Wales. Great. So I suppose at this point we ought to define what UBI is for the people who are listening and um, how close are we to it becoming a reality? So there's a standard definition of UBI and Mm -hmm. it's a regular payment in cash to everybody. So it's universal. Everybody gets it. It's not limited to a a subgroup. 
of the population and it's not conditional on anything so in particular it's not conditional on whether you're in employment or not or any other type of behavior so it's just an amount of money that everybody gets as a matter of right Mm -hmm. now that's quite a general definition because it doesn't actually say um it doesn't actually say how much it would be which is people's first question yeah (laughs) how much would it be and how would you pay for it um so in the uk the the sorts of amounts that people generally propose range between about 50 pounds a week and somewhere above 200 pounds a week for adults and then there'd be smaller amounts probably for children mm-hmm. so that's the kind of amount that that, that that of um that we're talking about and then there's also various ways that, that that it could be paid for so that's kind of the other side of the coin and when you think about the effects it's actually important to take account of both of those things the amount that people would receive and potentially anything anything they would have to um, pay in terms of extra taxation. Now, this might sound a bit outlandish. <laughs> and obviously, as I've said, it's unconditional. So it's not to do with work status. So on a podcast where we're talking about work-related topics, it might seem a bit strange to be talking about UBI. But there are some elements in the UK that are a little bit like UBI at the moment. So if okay. you think about, say, child benefit... Mm-hmm. That's a bit like a UBI for children. Mm. Um, if you think about, say, the state pension, that's a little bit like a UBI for people over pension age, especially going forward where it's a flat rate. So as long as you've got 35 years of contributions, you'd get the flat rate, that flat rate state pension. Mm. And then there's things like the winter fuel allowance for people over pension age, which is a little bit like a mini sort of one-off UBI Um in the winter. So we have got some elements in the system that already function a little bit like a UBI. So maybe it's not as kind of outlandish as you might think. So maybe in the sense of is it how close is it to becoming a reality? Um, to some extent, elements already exist. Mm. Obviously, a full UBI payable to everybody, so really universal, um, is is still something that we don't have in the UK. It's a long way. It's, it, it, I would say it's, it's quite a long way off still. But we have got those elements. Looking internationally, there are a couple of um, UBIs that exist. And um, so there's, there's two in the US, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's one in Alaska. So there's something called the Alaska Permanent Fund, which is a fund that is... Um, that uses revenue from the oil, from from oil. Uh, so it's basically the royalties from oil that Alaska is entitled to go into a into this permanent fund, and they use that to pay um, a dividend. Uh, it's called to everybody who's resident in Alaska. It's about six hundred and fifty thousand people, I think. Mm-hmm. So every year they get a payment of. It depends on the oil the oil price. So it's mm-hmm. it's between a thousand and two thousand dollars normally a year. Uh, they get it once a year. So that's like a universal dividend. Right. Um, so that's sort of like a like a sometimes people call that a partial UBI or a or a dividend. Mm. Um, and the other scheme in the US is in North Carolina amongst the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians, and on their reservation they run um, casinos. And the profits when they set up these casino these casinos they had 
um, this arrangement, the profits will be distributed to everybody. So mm. I think that's covering about 16,000 people. And that's a dividend of about four or five thousand dollars a year. I think it's paid a couple of times a year. So there are those two schemes in the US, which, again, look a bit like a UBI, a sort of partial UBI. OK, um, so people are dipping their toe into this around around the world, um, but it's still perhaps far from a, a, a universal application, especially in the UK. But you did mention a, a Wales study there. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so that's that's um, currently running. And what they're doing is everybody, it's young people who are exiting the care system in Wales. And every young person who exits within a two-year period, and I think we're about six months into the two-year period, is entitled to take part in this pilot. So it's voluntary. They don't have to, but um, um, it's actually financially quite attractive for them to do so because they actually get um, a UBI of actually much more than the amount people are normally proposing. It's actually £400 a week. Oh, wow. Um, so if you work that out, it's actually... And in fact, I think this is how they calibrated it too. It's actually almost the same as the minimum, uh, the national minimum wage or the national living wage right. for, a full-time, for a full-time job. So, and they're going to get that for two years. And then I presume they're going to compare those people with um, the one people who left just before this mm-hmm. pilot started or just afterwards to have a comparison group. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure about the details of that, but that's what I think they'll probably do. So that is only a, that that's 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 a UBI that will last in the pilot two years, yeah. um, and it's as I said, it's a very high UBI. Um, so we'll see what that what that gives. Mm. Um, so no said, no findings from that yet. <laughs> no findings from that yet. No. So we're, we're going to have to wait. Um, I guess a few years. I don't know if they'll release any earlier earlier findings. Um, there are some issues with doing pilots. You don't really want to kind of publicise it too much during the pilot in case yes. it disturbs the, the conditions. Mm-hmm. So um, is there any research that has finished that's told us about UBI and, for instance, people's well-being or their life satisfaction or training prospects, for instance? Yeah, so there are historically there have been quite a few pilots um, and the earlier the earliest ones were in the US and Canada in the 70s, mm. 60s, late 60s, early 70s. And since then, then it went into a bit of a sort of hiatus and um, it came back. Um, it's come back in recent years. So especially since COVID, actually, there have been a lot of little pilots in the US, uh-huh. some of it using the COVID recovery money that states, individual states were given and they had to spend it within a certain time. And so some of that has been used to set up little pilots. So typically these are sort of pilots of um, quite small pilots of maybe 100 people. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what the thing with UBI pilots is they're very costly because you yeah. have to pay the UBI. <laughs> so, you know, if you're thinking about a, quite a, a reasonably generous UBI. So say it was £200 a week, that's about £10,000 a mm. year. So that is expensive once you get into the numbers. Um, so these are quite small pilots in the US. So there have been quite a number of those pilots. And um, so a lot of evidence is coming out of that um, with this caveat that they are quite small numbers. Yeah. So some of the evidence is qualitative. Um 
um, some of it's quantitative. So what emerges from from those pilots and also some of the research on the Alaska one and mm -hmm. the uh, the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians pilot is that what we see is positive effects on well-being uh -huh. um, and in particular mental health. So there's a, a range of measures that people have looked at. It can be psychiatric symptoms, disorders, can be life satisfaction, it can be sleep quality, um, it can be kind of self-assessed quality of life, stress, depression. Um, so but essentially on, on, on a range of measures, there's evidence that UBI increases mental well-being. Um, there's also some evidence on sort of physical health, things mm -hmm. like hosp um, hospital admissions um, and measures of physical health. And on some, some measures of physical health, there are significant improvements from UBI. Um, less social stigma, more social participation. Now, again, you do have to sort of look at the context here because quite a bit of the evidence, as I say, comes from these small American pilots, mm. which tend to be targeted on disadvantaged groups. Yeah. Okay. So it, it, it's often targeted on on it's almost always they target the, the pilot on low income households. So maybe it's not surprising that given the stress of living on a low income and mm. having to maintain ends meet, if you add a bit, if you add some money and give people breathing space, it's maybe not surprising that you would get um, increases in uh, improvements in mental mental well being. So I think that I, th I think the 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 evidence is is quite good um, and quite convincing. People have done evidence reviews and uh, and concluded that. Um, I think if you did it on the whole population, maybe the the effects would be smaller. Yeah. Um, so that's something I think we have to we have to bear in mind. And presumably, um, as an yeah. economist, you're also interested in the kind of cost benefit. So, you know, for for how much is put in, are you getting enough? <laughs> improvement to, to make it justifiable yes yes that, that yes this is true um i mean there is a there is a recent study uh in the uk uh a kind of simulation study mm -hmm. where they're looking at the evidence of the effects of income on well-being mm -hmm. and they're looking at um if people's well-being, if we had a UBI and people's mm -hmm. well-being in, increased by whatever, how much would that? How much is that worth in terms of quality adjusted life years? Oh yeah. So mm -hmm. quality adjusted life years are what um, they use. Uh, what Nice National Institute for Clinical and Health Excellence uses when they evaluate new treatments on the NHS. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a way to evaluate the benefits of a new treatment. So obviously. That, that that improves health. So here, what we're thinking about is mental well-being. How how much would potentially UBI improve mental well-being, and how much would that be worth in terms of quality quality adjusted life years? Mm. And you can sort of loosely speaking monetize that. And so they're saying that it would actually um, the say that the the value of that will be in the tens of billions for the whole economy. Wow. So so in that sense, um, it. it, it you know it looks like a good deal um, yeah oh, that's really interesting research i'd like to see how that progresses um yeah. i suppose we should move on now to our audience is is kind of made up of senior leaders people in hr people who are well-being champions so 
they probably want to know what are the implications of this potential future of UBI for work as we currently know it? One thing you asked about, which I didn't mention, was training. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there is there is <laughs> there is evidence um, right from the start, actually, from the UBI pilots back in the 70s in the US that and they were folk they were focused on work because at the time people were worried that if you gave people a UBI or um, then they they stop working. Mm. So there's a kind of moral judgment that some people would argue that's not a good thing. But even apart from that moral judgment, which is obviously debatable, if people did stop working on a large scale, it would potentially undermine the tax base to pay for the yeah. UBI. So they were they were focused on that. But what they found is almost no overall very little effect on work when mm. people received the UBI. And where there was an effect, it was often because people were staying in education for longer. Right. Um, it tends to promote education mm-hmm. um, and also in some of the pilots that have been done um, especially in developing countries Kenya India Namibia have done pilots then that's it's it, it stimulated entrepreneurship oh, so I would say in terms of um, one dimension of work is you know investing in in, in work skills starting businesses etc so I think the evidence there is that it's um, that we have is that it does encourage that general issues to do with work again this is something that's hot, hotly debated as to what the what the what the more general implications of a UBI would be for the labor market this is something you can't probably properly test anyway in a small pilot mm. because just giving a few people a UBI um, doesn't tell us what the overall effects of the la- on the labour market might be if everybody had a UBI. So one thing it might do is give people a bit more bargaining power, mm. for example. Okay. And that might, if everybody got it, raise wages mm. because you've got, you know, potentially less supply of labour. Um, and, um, but we don't know that until, we wouldn't know that until we tried it. Yeah. Um, so, but there's there's kind of debate on that, and there's different schools of thought within the UBI community. Would it give people more bargaining power because they've got this outside option? Mm. Even if they stop work, they still get this certain level of income. Or would it mean that um, firms could subsidise low wages because people are getting the extra money? Right. So those two opposing effects yeah and it's not clear which one would dominate and I, my my feeling is it would actually depend on the type of job and the sector mm. so there might be some jobs which are not very pleasant jobs where people really don't want to do them and they only do them because of the money and if they had a ubi that would actually give them a bit of an outside option so mm. they might be more reluctant to do those jobs and the wages would have to rise in those yeah. sectors to incentivize people to do the jobs on the other hand, there might be some kind of jobs which are also quite low paid where, you know, maybe in sort of in the social sector some or the creative sector where people actually want to do the jobs. And a UBI would actually, they'd be more willing to do the jobs for a, potentially for a lower wage because they'd be getting the UBI. Mm. Um, I suppose from my point of view, it's not just about the wage. It's also about how they treat 
the people they're their employees because we talk a lot about well-being and you know keeping people retention being so much based on how you treat people that their their experience of work and their experience of the managers they work with um so i imagine that would also mix that up a bit yeah yeah so we here we we i mean essentially it's it's a, it's similar it's a similar issue that mm. Potentially, if someone's getting a UBI, you have to treat them nicely <laughs> um, because, you know, you, you know they, they might not cooperate with you otherwise, knowing that they have this this outside option. Mm. Um, really interesting. So I think that's I think that's. Yeah. And it's difficult to know how this will play out without um, until it actually happens, I guess. One thing that some people have suggested is that a UBI could go with a four day week. Uh-huh. So there is a campaign for a four day week at the moment and it, they, they want a four day week with no reduction of pay. Mm. But I think realistically, if there was a four day week, there would be some either reduction of pay or, you know, lower pay rises going forward kind of kind of thing. And a UBI could actually complement that by by helping to compensate people. Um, mm. And it would and it would comp- disproportionately compensate lower paid people. So you could have a UBI and a four-day week kind of going together. And then the question would be, well, how would firms manage manage a four-day week? Yeah, interesting. I suppose it means that the picture on UBI is currently mixed in terms of what it could bring for managers and leaders in organisations. Is there anything those people can do now to kind of be ready for the future? I think just thinking about the issues, because I think it is a different way of thinking about things, because if you think about the way that what we're used to is that we most people um, go to work and get paid. And that's how that's where their income comes from, mm. from their work. And that's what everybody's focused on. Whereas this will be an additional income stream. Mm. So it's a different way of distributing what the economy produces. Um, I mean, obviously, there are some people who currently have an, an additional income stream at the moment, because if you're an investor or, you know, you've got you are you do have shares um, in companies, you, you may get in, you may get a dividend from that. So in a way, it's like generalizing that kind of situation where you have these multiple or ju- this would be a kind of dual income stream that you would have. So it's a different way of conceptualizing the way we the way we do things and the way the economy works. And I think just thinking about those kind of issues would be, you know, would be would be very valuable. I think a lot of, I mean, you know, a lot of UBI, we've, we've talked about doing actual experiments, but I think doing thought experiments around mm-hmm. UBI is just as interesting. In a sense, you know, having this in your mind that this might happen, being able to think through it in those thought experiments gets you sort of thinking and ready if it does happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great. Um, are there any other kind of future of work topics that tie into this idea of UBI? Well, one which is coming up at the moment is artificial intelligence. Um, OK. <laughs> and obviously we in the academic sector are thinking about this quite quite closely as well as in, in particular in, re- in relation to student assessments. But, you know, there is a there is a sort of school of thought that that you know robots or ai and or ai are going to replace a lot of tasks and jobs um and you've got some people in the the tech community who 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 are in favor of of, of paying a ubi um mm-hmm. so um elon musk has made 
um, pro-UBI comments in the past. I think Mark Zuckerberg is in favor of UBI. Sam Altman, who runs um, OpenAI, which is responsible for ChatGPT, he wrote an article quite recently suggesting, well, basically saying AI was going to change everything. Um, it would drive down uh, wages to almost zero for a lot of jobs. Uh, because people would be because um, people would essentially that their jobs would be replaced by AI, um, you know, including people like lawyers. And so he's suggesting that there should be a UBI um, to, to sort of compensate people for that. So he's suggesting a, um, he calls it an American equity fund that would be um, financed by um Tax, taxing the value of companies over a certain threshold and taxing land. Okay. I mean, um, I should say that in the past, <laughs> people have always, you know, this is a constant refrain that technology destroys jobs. Um, people have been saying this for the last, uh, you know, 200 years. And we, yeah, by now however, we should be having full leisure time and, yes, and automation yes. and everything, um, shouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. Um, you know, it's certainly before the pandemic, employment rates in the UK were at record levels. Mm. I mean, it's gone down a bit now, but, you know, it may well go back up. Um, so despite all the new technology, more and more, more people were in employment than ever before. So we'll see. OK, um, so wrapping up, I mean, I, I found this absolutely fascinating, Mark. Thank you. But if people only take one message from this podcast, what would you like it to be? I think I'd just say think about it and be open minded about it. Mm. Um, you know, it's it is a different way of thinking. It's a different way of distributing the proceeds of economic activity. It's something that seems a bit outlandish at first, maybe. Um, you however you could introduce it at a low level to start with mm. um, and see how it goes. I think that's potentially how it will come in. And yeah, just just really think about about it and the implications. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for that. It felt like it flew by because you've brought so much interesting information. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you for joining us today. Okay. Thank you. No, it's very interesting. Very happy to to, to talk about that. please do visit www.evolveworkplacewellbeing.org. We look forward to seeing you next time.